0: I purposely gave it the title that I did this morning, Peter on Trial. Peter on Trial. In our text, as we said, we broke it up a little bit in John chapter 18, just so not that we would lose our exposition going verse by verse, but uh, kind of there's things that are overlapping here. And we noted, even as you saw in your responsive reading this morning, that by this time, Jesus Christ has been arrested. His civil trial is still going on during this time. Remember, there are going to be two trials, and this is the civil part of it. Okay, there will be the one in which he has brought. I'm sorry, this is the religious part of it, and there will be the civil trial later. I'm sorry. So the religious trial is still going on. He has already been before Annas at this stage, and then some things happened. And currently, he is before Caiaphas and the council, or as we have learned, the Sanhedrin. And while the Lord Jesus Christ is on trial religiously awaiting the civil trial that will come later, many illegal things took place and we're not here to amplify all of that again but to remind us that they had no right in trying him. He is being illegally tried by the religious leaders. They are breaking all the rules of Scripture and of their own doing. But, nevertheless, Jesus Christ himself is passing every single test with flying colors. With all that they are doing to, them, to him, as God's lamb we saw last time, Jesus Christ is bearing the cup that the Father had given him, and he's doing it beautifully. However, in the meantime... While he is being tried religiously, his disciples by this stage, most of them, and I say most of them because that's the reality, have scattered. Most of them have scattered. Most of them are confused. And most of them, maybe even all of them, are scared or frightened. That's the reality of what's going on. They were with him at Gethsemane. Now the Lord is being tried, he's gone from them, they are scattered, there's fear entering their hearts. At least, from what we can tell in scripture, at least two of them in our text here today, at least two of them are following the Lord Jesus Christ to some extent, and they're also following the proceedings that are taking place. We see that very clearly in verse 15, uh, where it says Simon was following him and another disciple. So Peter, we know, is there, and he is about to face, in my personal opinion, one of the greatest trials of his life. So while the Lord is literally on trial religiously, and Peter is just, as far as a human being, functioning by trying to follow what's going on, he does not even maybe realize it in a very practical sense yet, but he is involved in the greatest trial at least to this stage of his life. I want you to remember before we look at it a couple of things. This is the same Peter who moments ago, moments ago, aggressively defended the Lord Jesus Christ. He cut off the ear of Malchus, aggressively stood at his side. This is the same Peter who stated that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the same Peter who witnessed the transfiguration of the Lord and saw him in his glory. This is the same Peter, to take the positive aspect of this, who walked on water. Yes, he did sink, I know. But he also walked on water and had more courage than any of the other disciples. This is the leader of the 12. This is the spiritual one that we would look up to and depend upon and expect to be there in time of testing. And now he has put on the biggest trial of his life. As you can see from the outline, the first thing that we're going to begin with is the concept of failure. It's interesting because a number of years ago there was a movie made, and I want to be careful with movies, but It had to do with a real-life situation that happened in my generation, and it was called Apollo 13. And some of you that are old enough might remember, and those of you that didn't have the opportunity to be alive have probably read some history on it. Long story short, there was some complications after the spaceship was sent off, and it was supposed to land on the moon. It never did, and ended up being one of the most miraculous recoveries that was made in the history of that program, because they all survived. But the interesting thing that I just want to bring to your attention for our purposes today was in the midst of that, in the center down in Houston, where they were scrambling around, how are we going to possibly get these people back? This statement was made. Failure is not an option. And by God's grace, they did successfully bring them back. But I want to bring that to our attention this morning for this reason. I think it's unfortunate that in our mind failure is not an option. That is the way sometimes we function as Christians. Failure with me is okay, but failure with others is not an option. Bottom line, folks, that is Christianity by good works, plain and simple. We think that because we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we will never fail again. Well, honestly, in our hearts, we don't want to fail. But I'm going to tell you something. In my personal opinion, failure is probably only option for Christians because we're going to fail, and we're going to learn by it. And in Peter's case, obviously, you know the story, and I don't really have to give you all the details, and I'm not here to dwell on each fine detail there, other than to bring some other things to our attention that I think is necessary. But before we get to the victory, it is necessary to realize this is the guy who was the leader. This is the man who's been given more privileges than most of the other apostles. And this is the guy that has stood in the thick and thin in many situations and now is in a big trial and he begins by failing. And his failure is seen in verse 17, for example, when the slave girl that keeps this door says to him, uh, and it's written in a negative way, she's expecting a negative answer, it was a way out for him actually, and he said, I'm not, I'm not one of his disciples. Then you get down to verses 25 to 27, and then you see it again as failure. He's standing there, and again, it's put in a negative way, expecting a negative answer. You are not one of his disciples, are you? Denies it again. I'm not. It's failure. And then, amazingly, a third time, what happens is you get down to verse 27, Someone says, and by the way, who couldn't better identify him? You say obviously he knew it was he was a relative. Remember, it was dark in Gethsemane; they came with torches and a number of things. But this guy, who's a relative of the one, and saw what Peter did, apparently, turns around and says, "Hey, I know that you were basically of him." And Peter denies it again. And while I'm not comparing with every text, he does this with an oath: "Let God be my witness." He goes on by the time it's done, and he starts cursing, and he starts using language that is not appropriate to basically say, I have nothing to do with this man. If that's not failure, nothing is. The setting is that I want you to notice that he did follow Jesus, but he follows him at a distance. And I'll come back to that in just a few moments. He wants a safe distance. He wants to still have association with Jesus Christ, so he's not thought of as a deserter, but he doesn't want to go too far, and if it comes right down to it, he's willing to deny him. He's with another disciple. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I'll leave it for you, but I will say this. You probably, many of you have your mind made up, but there are good arguments as to who this may or may not be. Some suggest that it's Nicodemus. By the way, he was a disciple. Not an apostle, but a disciple. Some say that it's Joseph of Arimathea. And some say that it's the apostle John. And many like to come down on that and so forth with their reasoning. But to be honest with any one of us, it's only a guess because it doesn't tell us. Even though John many times does not identify himself, there are good arguments for the other people as well. And the fact of the matter is, let's leave it with what the scriptures give us. There's another disciple there obviously, by the way, who was friendly with the high priest, was known by the high priest, and certainly if it was John, why why wouldn't it be a situation where they question him for being with Jesus Christ? But he's able to gain them entrance anyway, and again, put it into last week's setting, I went into some detail, but for a reason. We need to understand this is not in the temple, it's in the court, whereby there's the Former high priest and the high priest in the living quarters, and it's in that area. And so that's the setting. We're really not sure who it is, but he's able to gain access to the proceedings. And he miserably fails. He does exactly what the Lord said he would do. What I want to deal with, first of all, on his failure that might be able to be a help to us and realize you know, as Christians, we will fail. But the first thing I want you to see, or us to at least consider, why do you think Peter might have failed? Here he was just defending the Lord a little while ago. Well, let me look at a couple of things that were in Peter's life so we can see. Because sometimes in our life, we fail also because of the very same things. And I don't want to dwell on the failure. I want to get beyond that. But I think it's important to see. That he's a man of God that was the leader of the apostles. He's a man of God that would step out in faith many times when others wouldn't. He's a man of God who by God's revealing to him identified that Jesus was the Christ. He's a man that was ready to fight just moments ago, in effect to the death, for Jesus Christ. And now he's failing. How is that possible? Well, I would suggest to you, number one, that it's because possibly of his pride possibly because of self-confidence. And sometimes, as believers, we have a lot of knowledge. We've had, we have a lot of things that have happened, and we're self-confident. And by the way, it doesn't just have to be the pastor. It's sometimes we're confident that we can handle anything in any situation. Look at John chapter 13, and you'll see why I say that. John chapter 13. And you will probably want to keep your finger in Matthew 26, where we've been looking the past few weeks in our responsive readings. But John chapter 13, in John the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 36. Remember this when we studied it? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go? You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. And here's this confidence, self-confidence. Here's his pride coming out. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Remember, this is back where everything started in chapter 13. I will lay down my life. There is no way. According to Matthew chapter 26, listen to these words. Matthew 26, beginning of verse 31, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, watch this, this will be part of what we're going to come back to. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all fall away because of you, I will never, not me, I'm the cream of the crop. I've got it together. I won't, Jesus said to him. Truly, I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter's insistent with self-confidence. He said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the other disciples, notice this, they followed his suit. Yeah, we, we agree with that. We're with you, Lord. Don't worry about a thing. One of the problems there, let me just say this right in the beginning is I would say to you he was too self-confident and too proud because he assumed he knew his own heart. When we see that the scriptures say the heart's deceitful above all things, we say yes for everybody else. But we're so confident in our own hearts. I would give you such verses as these. You can mark them down for time. I won't turn there. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before a fall. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Romans chapter 11, verse 20 basically say the same thing. So one of the reasons was probably self-confidence, pride. A second reason I'd give you is I don't think Peter learned from his mistakes. We need to learn when we fail. We need to learn when we've been corrected. Turn with me to Matthew 16, Matthew chapter 16. And why I'm saying this, we need to get pride out of our lives, all of us, starting with me. We need to not rely just on ourselves. We want to know the word of God. We want to study the word of God. We want to take stands, but we can't just rely on that alone in ourselves. We need to learn from the mistakes that we do make. In Matthew chapter 16, in verses 13 to 20, is the great text where He says, who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, verse 14, some Elijah, and then he turns around, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, same person, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he says to them, you're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you but my father in heaven. And then upon that statement, he's gonna build his church, which has been so misinterpreted. He's not dealing with, it being upon a pope or a person or anything like that. It was the statement that he made, that Jesus is the Christ. That's the the most important thing. That is what the church of Jesus Christ is built upon. None can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah of God. And he was very strong, but notice what happened. Jump down to verse 21. Just a short time later. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and we're in that text, and be killed, and be raised up the third day. And what did Peter do? He took him aside and began. Can you imagine this? Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Not only is that pride, but we see that he's coming in and he's trying to divert God from carrying out his plan because it doesn't line up with his thinking. He took, takes him aside, and he says, this shall never happen to you. Now, you and I know on this side of it that if that never happened, we wouldn't have salvation. But Peter thinks he's doing the right thing. Verse 23, he turned him aside and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're setting your mind up not on God's interest, but man's. Who is this? Peter. And what I'm saying to you is the second point. This had already happened to Peter. You would think at this time when Jesus says to him that, look, Peter, you're going to deny me. You need to watch out that Peter would say, wait a minute. I made a mistake before. I better learn from No, he doesn't. He does it again. Thirdly, I would say to you that he underestimated his enemies. And when I mean enemy, I'm talking about Satan, his ability. Turn with me to Luke 22. Luke 22. Peter not only had pride, he not only did not learn from his mistakes, but he also underestimated, though he had been told, he underestimated the power or ability of his enemies, specifically Satan. Luke 22, verse 31. The Lord had already told them, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. God told him that. Now we'll deal with the rest of that passage in a minute, but to sift you like wheat. We sometimes underestimate the fact of verses like this, our adversary, like a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. And we go along in this world, and you know why? Sometimes he doesn't come after us because we look like the world. We're in the world, and we'll get back to that, but we're traveling at a distance from Jesus. But he seeks to devour. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are to put on the whole armor of God because of the wiles of the trickery of the devil. And you know what? Satan was not keen to that. And just like with Job, where the Lord, we know the confrontation that happened with Job, "Let me at him," that is basically what Satan's saying with Peter, "Let me at him, and I will sift him through." But Satan even under—I mean, Peter even underestimated that power. He failed to heed the Lord's warnings. I will give you that as a fourth point. That's John chapter 18. We've seen that the Lord said, "You will deny me, not me, Lord." He doesn't listen to the warning. I'm different. Let me give you another one, fifth one quickly. He slept when he should have been praying. Too little prayer, too much sleep. Matthew 26, go back there, Matthew 26. We saw this. I won't read all the verses, but in verses 36 forward, notice verse 37, he took with him Peter. He gets this privilege. He says to them, I'm deeply grieved. Keep watch with me, verse 38. And then he went and he prayed. Came to his disciples, verse 40. Finds them sleeping and he says to Peter, so you couldn't watch with me for one hour? And notice what he said. Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Most of us wait till something falls upon us. So I would say he was sleeping rather than praying. He wasn't watching like he should have been. Number six, He acted before he considered what the Lord had already done. What do I mean by that? I'm going to save some time here. The sixth point is he acted without thinking. Hadn't the Lord on several occasions, even in the book of John, when they came after him, he walked right out through their midst and got away from them? Couldn't the Lord do that again? You would think he would look at it and say, you know, we look at the people and say, look at all the miracles that were done. They should have learned from the miracles that Jesus did. Well, look at the disciples. They saw how many times they came to get him. Soldiers came. Pharisees came. Religious priests came. And they could never capture Jesus. Though they'd have him cornered, he'd get right out of it. Well, you would think Peter would look at that and say he could get out of that. Well, he could get out of this if he wanted. Why doesn't he? And he just said he could call thousands of angels. But he doesn't look at that. He doesn't consider that. Not at all. He wants to do things his way rather than God's way. And I would suggest to you that most of us as Christians, honestly, still want to do things our way. And we'll go to even scripture verses and make them conveniently fit our circumstances. And then I'll come to the last point. And I want to get into the forgiveness area. And that is that I believe he followed too far away. I think Peter is an example for us to learn from. And I think it's specific and intended for a purpose when he says that he followed and you look at and compare it with the synoptic gospels and what you find is he followed at a distance. There are many Christians that are trying to follow Jesus that way. They're trying to be connected to him. But as one person said to me one time, I don't want too much of Jesus. I've had that said to me. I don't want too much. That's following at a distance. There is a real danger there because you may not be a true follower. And he wants to have enough association so he's not thought as a deserter and he doesn't want to give too much time to the things of God because it interferes with his personal schedule. That's today. I'll follow at a distance, but I'll only go so far. That's not a slave. A slave to Christ says, what you have for me, I am here to obey. What gifts you've given me, I will serve you with them. And whatever talents you've given me, I will use them as you want them used. That's what a slave of Christ does. Someone who's following at a distance says, I've trusted in Christ, but this as far as I'll go. I'll come when it's convenient. I'll read when it's convenient. I'll do things when it's convenient. And I would challenge every one of us right here in a practical way for a moment here. It would be probably a wise thing to do for you personally and for me personally to take our daily schedule and analyze how much of that is spent consciously aware of serving Christ as opposed to how much I've squeezed in a little bit here and there for the Lord. You might be shockingly surprised. We all have jobs. We have things to do but they should all be done to the Lord. Well, he failed. We will fail. But you know the marvelous thing, folks, isn't it great? The forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God. Now, we're going to be dealing more with this as the text goes on, but I I want to address it today. The emphasis should not be on the failure of Peter. We can point at Peter, we could point at at David. We could point at so many people in Scripture and how they failed, and you can can point at one another as Christians. And that's why I said, we're going to fail. But be encouraged. God is a God of forgiveness. And I noticed in the bulletin pastor's going to be teaching on eternal security. Right? What greater illustration of eternal security than this one? Turn with me to Luke 22. Go back there. Watch this, Luke 22, verse 32, I already read verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had demanded, and Simon heard it, but he didn't put too much stock in it, but notice what Jesus said, but I, that is Jesus Christ, have prayed for you, why, purpose, notice this, that your faith may not fail. He didn't say, Peter, I'm going to pray that you don't go through the trials. He didn't pray, Peter, I pray that Satan won't be able to get at you. No. He knew exactly what to pray for. Peter, I have already prayed for you that your faith, because it was real faith, would not fail, even in the time of testing. You would fail but not your faith. And then he says this. Watch this. And you, when once you have turned again, see that grace? The Lord knew he was going to fail. The Lord told him, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, you're going to fall asleep. You're not going to heed my warnings, Peter. But you know what? You're going to bounce back. And then what does he say? Strengthen your brothers. What a picture of God's grace. You know what? If I were Peter, I would have assumed my ministry is over. I've done the unthinkable. I not only denied my Savior, Denied him three times. What a failure I am. You can't tell me that Peter didn't think somewhat like that. He was a human being. His courage failed when confronted by a slave girl. His devotion to the Lord failed because he withdrew far enough away. But folks, while he failed badly, he failed temporarily. It wasn't permanent. How great is the forgiveness of God? How great for me, for you. There is no sin, well... My theological brain processes things fast. There is a sin, you know, when we deal with the Holy Spirit and so forth, and there is a person that can deny it right up to death that, that Jesus Christ, yes, that dooms him for eternity. Let's put that aside. There isn't any sin by way of denying Christ temporarily, by way of committing murder, by way of adultery. And that's not excusing any of these things by thievery, by hatred. There isn't any sin. Don't you ever go through this world thinking, I've committed such a sin that God can't forgive me. His grace is greater than all of our sin. If it wasn't for that, none of us would be saved. And when we fail and truly belong to him, isn't it great? He prayed for his faith. What is the difference between Peter and Judas Iscariot? You read this morning. He went out and wept bitterly. His spirit was crushed. It was a temporary failure, as bad as it was. But his faith was solid in Jesus Christ, and he was kept by the power of God. Judas Iscariot didn't have that faith. How do we know that? Scripture reveals it to us. If we were to look at that, honestly, if Peter just failed in our presence today, I would probably be the first one to be honest with you that would say, maybe he's not saved because it's just the way we treat people. Maybe they're not saved. And we would think, I could never do that. We're wrong. But Peter's faith was real. And when it says he wept bitterly and. We can't get in all the depth of it. But when he said to ability, it's because he had real faith and because he realized what he had done and because he did love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when we get there, the Lord's going to say, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. You would think I didn't because of what I did. I didn't want to do it, but I did. Why? I was scared. I didn't pray the way I should have prayed. And when the moment of my trial came, I failed. But the Lord is in the business of picking up. And he's in the business of forgiving. Judas, on the other hand, just to at least touch on it, his actions were deliberate. They weren't temporary. They weren't the spur of the the moment. They were deliberate. They were premeditated. They were full. And they were final. His was just a temporary failure. He had been there all along. And all along, as you followed Judas and some of the things that we've learned already, all along, even with the purse, his heart was not with Jesus Christ at all. He was out for him, himself, and he simply attached the name of Jesus until it came down to money And he wanted money and betrayed the Savior by premeditating how to do it. And when he went out and hung himself, it was only because of regret, because he knew of the innocence of the Lord. It wasn't because of a relationship that he had with him. Peter wept bitterly because he knew what he had done to his Savior. And he was crushed because his faith was real. And God is in the business of forgiving. And we, as Christians, ought to be in the business of forgiving. We love God to forgive us. We love others to forgive us. And we are the last ones to want to forgive anything for anyone else what they've done, if we're honest. And I am absolutely appalled when I hear of Christians that, for years, are carrying things against other Christians. That's an abomination, folks. Forgive and move on. And the amazing thing to me above it all, and I'm saving it because when we get to John 21, we're going to look at it a lot closer. But did you notice what we saw in Luke chapter 22, verse 32? That's why I got it in the outline. A future champion. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He denied the Lord three times. His sin was obvious, but when he wept bitterly over that sin and he agreed with God's perception of that sin and his heart was broken and probably thought he was useless, not only was he forgiven of it, but he's going to be used by God in a greater capacity. Amazing. We see someone that's failed and we want to wipe them out. Have you ever had that in your life? You just failed the Lord? Maybe you're struggling with some sin in your life. I don't know. And you're failing the Lord. And Lord, I've tried to, you know what? Weep bitterly over it and give it to the Lord. See it as he sees it. The Lord's already forgiven it. You've got an intercessor, according to the book of Hebrews, who's ever making intercession for the saints, always. And his blood is always cleansing us. First John. And he picked up Peter, and he said in that text in Luke, when you've turned again, Peter, I am not done with you. It doesn't say that in the text, but he puts it this way. Strengthen your brethren. That trial in your life is going to help you. And what do you find by the time you come to the book of Acts? And I'm saving John 21, but that's when you find the Lord coming to Peter. And just did you know the text, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Three times denial, three times. You know I love you. You know what? I'm not done with you. Feed the flock. Feed them. Go on, Peter. I'm not done with you. And when you come to the book of Acts, who's the first one to give a sermon? Peter. The one that denied the Lord. And he turns around. And he says, I want you to know. And here's the the guy that was a coward for a period of time. He says, I want you to know that you crucified the King of glory. God raised him from the dead. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes on and becomes bold unto death because Christ is able to use him. We ought to be in the business of picking up one another. In the book of Galatians, when we see another brother or sister fall, stumble into sin, we're going to pick them up. I want you to go with me to James chapter 1. You know the passage well. If you're struggling with some sin, weep bitterly over it. God's a forgiving God, and move on. If you continue to pursue, you're putting yourself under the hand of God's discipline, yes. And God may remove your life as a believer, if you continue on, but turn it around. And then what? God's never going to use me again? Not at all. I don't want to dwell on Peter's fall. I want to dwell on the fact of God's great forgiveness. And what a future champion this man becomes. Because he understood this now. He hadn't learned before. I know he learns this time. How do I know he learns this time? Oh, he's going to go fishing for a little while. It's going to take a little while for him to recover. But when it's all said and done, he's going to become bold in the book of Acts. He's going to become the leader. He's going to strengthen his brother. Why? James chapter 1, picking it up in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing, isn't this what the Lord prayed for? I prayed that your faith may not fail, Peter. That your testing of your faith produces endurance. And it did in Peter. And let endurance have a perfect result. Why? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It increased his faith. Turn with me quickly to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the same Peter that failed miserably. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter is writing these words. How do you think he learned about this? Let's read it. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary... You've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it be tested by fire, in honor, then what does he say? That it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't rejoice with Peter's failure. But Peter had learned something through that trial. It did prove his faith. And it proved that it was real. And he did fail, but God's grace was better. His forgiveness was wonderful. And God used him so that he knew that now he would be found to the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And that's his desire. And that's what he's writing for every believer to learn from. So Peter went on trial. Big test failed miserably, but God's not done. By the time we get to John chapter 21, we're going to see that. But I want you to see it now. Because we could go out of here today and say what a failure Peter was and just leave it on that negative note and how he denied the Lord and he went out and wept bitterly, maybe just like Judas Iscariot. No, no, no. The Lord had already prayed for him. His faith didn't fail. It was a momentary thing. And yes, we're dealing with the endurance or the perseverance of the saints. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will continue on. That is why, like Judas, if people make a profession of faith and they don't continue on and they desert the things of Christ, yeah, they weren't saved. But a true believer, that'll never happen. As bad as the failure is, it is God who picks us up, it is God who forgives even when men don't forgive. It is God that will use us, and usually will use us in a greater capacity after our failure. When we fail, go to the Lord and we bitterly, but let him lift you up. When we see another brother or sister fail in the Lord, look to pick them up. Don't look to point the finger, because you're pointing the finger and you're probably next. Oh, yes, we want to live victorious for the Lord. But it isn't amazing that Peter failed the Lord like this. And it was the apostle Paul, another giant in the faith, says the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. What I know I should do, I fail at it. Why? Because we're still in the flesh. Yes, we can learn. Be careful of pride. Be careful of not learning from our mistakes. Be careful of not heeding the warnings of God. Yes. Be careful to underestimate the power of Satan. Yes. And I know the passage, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, but we still have to put on the armor. Yes, be careful that we're not following Jesus at a distance. At the funeral that I did, one of the passages that were read, very unusual for a a funeral, but it was one of the favorite passages of Mr. Pavo, and that was Matthew 7. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. That was one of his favorite passages. And it's a frightening passage. Those that are following at a distance may be in that danger. Rather, have a life that humbly, even if you've been a believer for 50 years, that every day comes to God and said, without you, I can do nothing today. Without you, I am nothing. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit. But God, I know by the time I leave my breakfast table and go into my day, I am about to probably try to do it in my own strength and power. God, give me the grace. God wants to use us as warriors. Let's pick up other brethren in the Lord when they fail. Isn't it great? that while we're members one of another and the body of Christ is made up of many members? Isn't it great that when we hurt, God doesn't cut off that member? Isn't it great if you break an arm that the medical profession tries to get you to heal it, they don't say, broken arm, cut it off, throw it away? Isn't it great when you bang your head We don't say decapitation, right? Folks, in the body of Christ, isn't it great that while we fail God, and while some of it is horrendous, and it was with Peter, that God is so gracious that what he wants us to do is come back to him, weep bitterly, and realize it's you and only you I offended, and let God pick us up? You know what? You will never experience that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can follow religion till your death. You can follow your own path till your death and you'll never experience the peace of God. You will never truly be able to experience this grace of true forgiveness and know it in your heart unless you come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You need to realize that you're a sinner, and you cannot save yourself, and religion won't do it, that God has provided it all in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty and price for sin, and is willing, and His grace is greater than all of your sin. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved and forgiven. And fellow believer, we don't walk in the flesh. We live in the flesh, but we walk by the power of God. And when we fail, we need to put the things behind us and move on with God, and we're kept by his power and enabled to have victory every day. Let's walk by faith. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, it's a sobering passage this morning. To see that how a leader, a warrior, an aggressive defender of Jesus Christ could still fail. Father, we all fail. We thank you that you lift us up, you forgive, even when other men don't, that, Father, you're interested in using us even when we think we're all done and useless and we've ruined everything. And, Father, we can make a mess of things, but we thank you that your grace is greater than all of our sin. I first of all want to pray for any that do not know Christ. Help them to see they'll never have peace with you in their heart until they come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And as believers, when we fail, help us to realize that you pick us up, that you've already forgiven, and that, Father, you desire to continue to use us. And through the trials of our faith, you have us grow you have us mature so that we can help others. And help us be in the business of looking to pick people up that fail and who fall down. Help us to not walk by law, or walk by thinking we can be perfect in ourselves. but Help us to walk by faith. Help us to walk according to your word. And I pray, Father, you'd keep us from following you at a distance. But Father, be totally sold out to Christ, that you would use us for your honor and glory until Jesus Christ returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.